This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Mitchell Walker, and when I'm not teaching people how to find hidden money, I'm out stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy Monday, everybody. We're kicking off the week in style because on today's show, we welcome today's show money editor and host of Her Money Podcast, Gene Chatsky. Plus, in our headline segment, what are the sneaky ways stores try to lure Benjamins out of your wallet? (laughs) Of course, that's not all. Sure, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener. Yeah, we're going to answer a letter from the mailbag, but oh yeah, baby, some of my incredible trivia is also headed your way. And now, because the week won't start itself, here are Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. That's right, it won't. Got to get your money fix on. Hey there, kids. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter, just so you know who is who here at the card table. And across from me, the svelte Mr. OG. Yeah. Okay. Working Getting on there. it anyway. You're working on it. I did at least three push ups this morning. That's fantastic. On my knees. I <laughs> did knee push ups. Don't well, judge me. It's a start. I'm not judging. The laugh was a good for you. Attaboy. That's what the laugh mm-hmm. was. It was a fist bump. Yes. Welcome to welcome to Monday. How was your weekend? Basketball times 1,000. Isn't that fantastic? My favorite weekend ever. Thanks to everybody who came out and met us in Detroit. That was very fun. We're going to be announcing some more meetups here uh, shortly in the next... Yeah, we got to start planning them. <laughs> we, we're like, oh, those are way out in the future. <laughs> oh, shh. 
Nikes. It's next yeah. week. Yeah, they're kind of coming soon. Well, you know, and something else that also sneaks up on you is when you need to hire somebody. You're like, oh, we can plan for this new hire. And then all of a sudden it's right there. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Stacking Benjamins. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash SB and get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. What a show we got for you today. We got Gene Chatsky waiting in the wings, the Today Show money editor. And if you've never heard Gene, uh, man, you're in for a treat because Gene is incredible. But first, we got some headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net. This is written by Nevin Adams. Napa-Net, of course, is the National Association of Plan Advisors website. How about this? This is great. Is there alphabeticity bias in 401k investing? Have you ever heard of alphabeticity bias? Oh, boy. I've never heard of it, but um, I'd be interesting to hear this. A new paper by academics at Kansas State, St. Louis University, and Seton Hall, along with a researcher at the Ipsos Behavioral Science Center, they say when a participant searches through her plan's menu of investment options, she may be more likely to choose the funds appearing toward the beginning of the list. That's what alphabeticity is. I think that's funny because I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I really find that this hard to believe. If you look at it, what do you search for? Like, how do you sort the list when you look at 401ks? I first look for, well, I look at it like I'm building a ship and we maybe. Right. But how do most people do it? Most people look at the highest return. Yes. You search by, you you sort the list by, I mean, you might go, well, I should go 10 years, right? And then you just click the 10 year button and go, show me all the best performers for the last 10 years. So I wonder how that compares to alphabetically. This says uh, she may be more likely to choose the funds appearing toward the beginning of the list. And then since 401k fund choices with early alphabet names appear at the beginning of the list, they'll be chosen more often than later alphabet name funds. The author explains that the alphabeticity bias is a phenomenon which early alphabet options are chosen more frequently than others. While the researchers acknowledge that many investors can access their plans online and may be able to reorder their list, individuals generally rely on the default list given to them. Alpha, apparently, alphabeticity, the piece says, is a thing. The paper cites research that's found that politicians with early alphabet names are more likely to be elected than the competitors. Scholars with last names that Not begin... recently. <laughs> Scholars with last names that begin with a letter early in the alphabet are invited to review papers more often than those with last names that start with letters later in the alphabet. And ostensibly because they're solicited more often, alumni with early alphabet names donate more than those with later alphabet names. And in fact, the researchers did find alphabeticity bias indeed affects investment allocation decisions in defined contribution plans like 401k plans. Citing an example of a 401k plan that offers 13 funds listed alphabetically, of course, they determined that if the Royce Pennsylvania Mutual Fund changed its name to American Royce Pennsylvania Mutual, a 10 position increase, moving it to the top position when listed in alphabetic order, investment in the fund would increase by roughly 20%, everything else being equal. So we're going to start a stacking Benjamins fund. A, 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 a stacking Benjamins fund. A, 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 a plus. 
I think that I got that during in the days of the yellow pages. Remember, remember how there'd always be like the AAAA plus carpet cleaners. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the absolute first one in and the yellow do is just add another a in the yellow pages. I mean, if it weren't yeah. a thing, they wouldn't do that. Uh-huh. I think, uh, I think did, does this just show how lazy we are? Yeah. That's a good description of it. <laughs> yeah. Very, very laziness. So pick from the bottom up next time. Start with Wasatch company at the very bottom. Warber Pincus. Remember those names? I do. I guess that's all we can take from it is know that that's a thing and we're more likely to pick stuff off the top of the list. So make sure you look all the way to the bottom. I wonder if that uh, study also holds true at things like uh, the Cheesecake Factory where they have 7,000 things on their menu. <laughs> Everybody Jeez. picks from page and one. I think everything just picks from page one. Our second headline comes to us from Money. This written by Jen Glantz uh, over at Bankrate. Four psychological tricks stores play to get you to buy more stuff. I thought this is good for you, OG, because now, now you'll know what all the psychological tricks are that always work on you. They don't need any psychological tricks on me. But next time I'm in the Ferrari dealership, I will be aware of them. <laughs> Number one, deceiving dressing rooms. Do they have dressing rooms at the at the Ferrari? At the Ferrari, Fer- yes, yes, that's the thing. Ferrari dealership. I haven't been in a dressing room, and I can't even remember how long. <laughs> don't you don't you buy clothes the same way I do? Like that looks like it'll fit. It's close enough. Close enough. Swing I'll and just, a miss. I'll just gain some weight or lose some weight to fit. By the way, back to the Ferrari. That's the cheap knockoff brand. You know, everything has a knockoff brand. <laughs> exactly. Nobody notices the it's extra like a goat, not a horse. <laughs> <laughs> And, and unless you unless you look really closely, you don't know. Besides the fact yeah. that it's a, like uh, a two cylinder, right? Okay. <laughs> besides the fact that it's a tricycle, you'd never know the difference. Yeah. Retailers know that once you get inside a private fitting room to try on a new pair of jeans, they're halfway there to getting you to buy. That's why many apparel retailers have designed their dressing rooms to get you to look and feel your best. Andrea Warwick who's been on this show several times, a consumer savings expert, says department stores invest a lot in the dressing room experience. The goal? Generate more sales. Retailers use distorted mirrors to make shoppers appear thinner, knowing that most people buy clothes if they like the way they look in it, Warwick says. Some stores will tilt the mirror, too, to create that longer and leaner reflection. You could use a lot of that. Or use dim lighting to make you appear tanner. That's awesome. Which also improves your appearance. How about that? Number two, deals too good to be true. Buy more, save more deals are designed to trick you into spending more money than you plan. Consumers see bigger value with a bigger dollar savings figure and are likely to go for the bigger deal. However, such tiered offers as 25% off $75 or $50 off $150 actually save you the same percentage regardless how much you spend. So don't get fooled. You see those all the time. You yeah, only- you're at you're at one hundred and twenty two dollars, and they're like, you know, if you just spent another thirty six bucks, you could save twenty five dollars. Like, well, in that case, I'll get a pillow. Yeah. How how does that math work? I spend more. I say, oh, okay. So if more money comes out of my wallet, that means I save more. I remember yes. this. I had a class that most people don't get, which was. A, a personal finance class about media and how stores will get you to buy more stuff. And it was all consumer finance. And it was, it was all this type of stuff. I remember our teacher saying, even if it's on sale, money leaving your wallet is less money in your wallet. So if it cost $85 at first and it's $80 off, $5 still, still left five your bucks. wallet. 
and went to their wallet. As long as you remember that premise, instead of just getting caught in the uh, in the sale thing, it's pretty good. Number three, store credit cards can hurt. Though tempting opening up a store credit card and attempting to get the most savings on your new plastic could cost you. Retailers know that shoppers are likely to buy more in that single transaction to maximize those one-time savings. So we'll continually spend more when swiping a store card work says, you know, you get 15% off today, OG, if you open up the store credit card. Mm-hmm. So you might as well reach and try to get that thing that you were thinking about getting, but don't really have in the budget. But now I can because I'm going to get an extra 15% off. And she makes another good point. If you don't shop at that store very often, you might forget about the new account and miss a payment, making the initial discount obsolete. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. I forgot that I got that, you know, Pier 1 or whatever card. Yep. Uh, number four, sales that promise to end soon. You see this all the time, this planned obsolescence. You see it online. You know, I have this course. It's going to close tomorrow. By the way, it's going to open in six months again, but it's going to close tomorrow. You can't miss out. Department stores thrive on marketing strategies that make consumers feel as though they need to buy something immediately or risk missing out on a good deal. In reality, however, that's usually not the case. Retailers use urgency by promoting limited time deals such as daily deals or one day only sales to make you think it's the absolute final chance to shop at rock bottom clearance prices, even though it rarely is. I mean, think about right. that. If, if, if there's a sale today, Good chances that sale's going to come back later. I mean, the stuff that's sitting there is only going to get older. Of course, if it's a limited supply, maybe you'll miss out on that thing. But do you need? I was thinking about the uh, the real estate market in this context because how many transactions have you done in your lifetime or heard about where where the realtor's like, well, there's like six other offers, so you should probably, you know, if you want to if you want to up your offer or if you want to, you know what I mean? It's like, no, I don't want to up it. That one I was up there. Stop. I asked my realtor when we were buying our current house, I said, do you think them saying that there's really these two other offers that there really are? And you know, we had a really cool real estate professional. He goes, yeah, I doubt it. This house? <laughs> no, no, no. There's, there's definitely multiple offers on <laughs> <No>. this one. <laughs> are you kidding me? They can't give this away except to you. So yeah. Yeah, didn't have that, but 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 I like those, and we'll link to these at our at our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. I don't think we do enough around these everyday money things, and stores use tons of tricks. And I think that's a good point: is that I'll walk into a store sometime just looking around, but the store is psychologically set up like they've had serious people that know what they're doing set up these racks to make sure that money leaves my wallet. I'll walk into a store without any plan. Just hey, and I'm immediately got a bullseye tractor beam. <laughs> well, it's like the it's like the uh, you know when they say like the the carpet at a casino is distracting on purpose to keep your eyes looking up, yeah. so you see all the flashing lights and stuff like that. I, I I think the layout of stores is designed that way too. If you ever notice, you walk through like a Macy's or something like that at the mall, there is no. There's very rarely like the aisle where you can just like walk straight from one end to the other. You have to walk around and through all these other things on purpose. You know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like one giant Ikea. How about those lines when you're waiting to check out with the carts full of crap as you go back and yeah. forth to the cash register? Yeah. Like I got to, I got to walk the gauntlet of stuff I don't need just to buy the stuff like that I. Like getting off the airplane in Cancun. 
and you're trying to get to your hotel and you got to walk through the gauntlet of timeshares before you get outside. Right. All the, all the timeshare. Oh man, people. it's terrible. You just keep your head down. You have to. Everybody who's flown into Cancun Airport knows what I'm talking about. A friend, it's nuts. A friend of mine said he's got a great strategy for that. He will take his phone, put it up to his head, and he's like, there's nobody there. But that idea of the phone at your head, people are like, oh yeah, I don't want to interrupt him. Great, hmm. great, great strategy. If you ever got to get from point A to point B. AirPods. That's lesson number one. Lesson, how does AirPods help? Because AirPods... Because you, you got them in your... And you're just like... You just point at them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Mm. I, got, I, got, I got the thing. I got the thing. It'll be a second. Yeah, can't take it. Lesson number one is uh, use that strategy. Uh, have a strategy when you walk into a store because stores have a strategy for you. And I think lesson number two here is alphabeticity bias. It seems fake news. It seems dubious. I actually think it's a thing. I of think course it's, a, it's thing. a thing. It's because people are lazy. It's a sad thing, but it is a thing. She is not only the Today Show money editor, she is also the voice behind the Her Money podcast, and she is also AARP's financial ambassador. She's a fierce advocate for financial literacy. We're so happy she's on her way back down to the basement, upstairs talking to mom right now, good friend Jean Chatsky. And walking down the stairs to the basement, it's our friend, Gene Chatsky. How are you? I am good. How are you, Joe? I'm so glad you're here. And the book tour must be fun and exhausting and wonderful all mixed together, I would think. You know, I think those are all really good adjectives. Fun, exhausting, wonderful, kind of wraps it up in a nice, neat little bow. Tour is not exactly an accurate description. I, I, uh... I'm doing a lot of speeches and a lot of talks, but it's not sort of organized into a tour. It's it's different places that I'm I'm going to talk about the book and and when I'm there. If it was organized into an actual tour, that might be easier. So just coming to the basement is like a one-off. So we should oh feel my gosh, special. Sure. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, I love the basement. <laughs> I, I, takes a special person, Gene. Takes a very yes, special person. Yeah. No question. I want to ask you about something on the inside flap of the book. You, you write women have more money and power than ever before. So why are we still so conflicted and unsure of what or how to deal with it? I want to open with that question right back at you. Why? In part, because we come at money from a place of not understanding ourselves and who we are as financial beings, coupled with the fact that nobody has ever taught us how to manage it. So it's this one-two punch, and then you throw in some biology that is inclined to make us do things that are not in our own best interests. And we've got people who, yes, we have more money. Yes, we have more power. The money is actually coming at us in huge, huge numbers, particularly if we look at the fact that women are going to inherit twice. We're going to inherit not just from our parents, but from our spouses who we will outlive. And we need to understand how to manage it. And so the book takes you through essentially a three-stage, three-step process 
first you understand yourself, then you deal with the tactical solutions that you need to control your money. And it's control that leads to happiness much more than more money. It's being able to control whatever you have. And then third and finally, it's using that money to create the world that you want for the people that you love and the causes that you believe in. When you write about this in the first couple chapters of the book, you talk about understanding your money story and that we all have kind of the script that we're working from. Just as an example, I was wondering as I was preparing, what was Jean's money story? If you could tell us a little bit of yours, that would be great. Yeah. So I was raised in a house where there was enough money, but not an abundance of money. And so I was, even if I wasn't told so, very conscious of the thriftiness in the household. I remember going on vacations. We would drive across the country in our Ford station wagon, whether we were going to see the Grand Canyon or going to visit my grandparents. And I I remember very, very clearly stopping for lunch, not at a McDonald's, but at a grocery store where we would get a a loaf of bread and a pack of Oscar Mayer bologna and make sandwiches out of the back of the car because that, you know, you could eat, you could feed one at McDonald's or you could do that and feed five. By the same token, I, I did get some mixed messages. My father really did enjoy spending much more than my mother. She found it kind of painful, but he liked the splurge. He found the joy in the splurge. And I think I got a little bit of that from both of them. And so my money story is that I was raised in this household without a lot of clear signals, with with signals from both sides. And I think that fed my insecurity growing up with it. And it, it also likely is responsible for why I do what I do, because I am still trying to answer these questions. That was what I was going to ask next is how does that inform you? It makes you realize where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are. And why you do what you do. So what I think people fail to understand about their money story, their money, your money story is not the lessons that you were taught about money. It's not the fact that somebody put jars for saving and spending and giving on the dresser and taught you how to use them. It's what was in the air. It's what you felt. It's whether the holidays were a tense time or a joyful time. It's whether there were fights behind closed doors about money or or whether money was just thrown at problems to try to solve them. And once you stop to think about how that occurred in your home of origin, you can start to trace it and connect it to your behaviors now. And only then can you decide, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Or, oh, this is a fine thing to do. This is helping me. But if if you're still, I, I interviewed a lot of women for the book and got their money stories and they talked about, oh, I know that when I'm having a bad day, I go out and I throw money at the problem because it's going to make me feel better. You can only decide that you don't want to do that anymore if you know why you're doing it. If you're consciously uh, yeah. above it. Yeah. That's interesting. As you're talking, I'm thinking about my money story growing up and how my parents, very hardworking people, but whenever they got a dollar, 
we found something to spend it on. And my natural feeling when I get a dollar, which I always fight against, is to go spend it on something. There's always some capital improvement on my house or some, you know what I mean? There's something that I need to do to spend that money. And I always have to fight that feeling. And I know now exactly where it comes from. Yeah. And and that's important. But then we can layer on skills and tactics and techniques and tools to help us do the right thing. You because talk, we do all have to get to our futures. Well, speaking about tactics and tools, you talk about, uh, you know, about discussing money with your friends and how hard that is and about how money can really ruin friendships. How do we have good money conversations with the people around us and not wreck friendships? I think you have to be conscious of what you want to discuss. I did a lot of the reporting for this book in the form of Her Money Happy Hours. Her Money, as you know, you've been on is my podcast. And Her Money Happy Hour is basically a game that we developed. We have cards. We gather women together in small to large groups and everybody picks a card. And then you have to read what's on the card, which is an open-ended question generally, like my financial wake-up call was when? or I spend money because blank, and start talking. And because we never have these conversations, having them in a facilitated way is really, really liberating. That's the word that a lot of people have used. It's very powerful. It's nice to be given permission to talk about things that you never talk about because you've sort of got a safe space. We're not we're not sitting there and and talking about, you know, what was the number on your visa bill when you opened it? It's it's the bigger, more goal oriented, more relationship based conversations. I like the I like the phrase you use on the front of your book, judgment free guide. For sure. I mean her money is a judgment free zone on the website, on the podcast. The book is a judgment free zone. I certainly don't want anybody to sit on high and judge my financial decisions or my financial mistakes because I've definitely made plenty of them, but I am not going to judge your choices. It's your money. Look, you work plenty hard. I want people to make conscious choices about what they do with their money, but I'm certainly not going to sit there and tell them that that's right or wrong. You talk about the fact that women are going to outlive men. I feel like you might be judging right now that I just ate like a whole sleeve of Girl Scout cookies before I got on this call. Were they Thin Mints? They were. Thin, they totally were. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stop. No, no judgment for Thin Mints. <laughs> thin Mints are great. And they're better frozen. Did you freeze them? I didn't. I didn't have time to freeze them. I just oh, got them. Oh. Mine have not arrived yet. The Girl Scouts down the block came by about three weeks ago. I'm very intrigued by, did you see they they added a s'mores cookie to the menu? I did, but I, oh my goodness. I am very excited about the s'mores cookie. Yes, I think my life- I was a cookie mom and, (laughs) and I just outgrew my position. I think my life expectancy in the last hour went down like four months based on the, I inhaled those. <laughs> but, but you separate a lot of the book and I don't know if this is officially, but into, into how you earn money and then how you save and invest money and then spending money. And I want to touch on each of the three, because obviously we don't have time to go page by page to the book. And if people want more, they should go buy it or get it from their library. <laughs> yeah. But let's start off with, with spending money. The pay gap has narrowed, but it still persists. Why does the pay gap still persist? Because it's institutionalized 
for one reason and because women still don't negotiate as much as men do for the other. I mean, it's those two factors, really. I want to talk about negotiation because regardless of men or women, there's a lot of people listening who aren't paid what they are worth. Mm -hmm. You have a strategy that I, I thought we might talk about just for a second about how to get paid more and really as much how not to go about getting paid more. How do you approach your boss about a raise? It's not, I deserve a raise. That is not how you get it. You have to approach your boss with both information on what you should be getting paid. And you can find that out there on the internet these days at salary.com and Payscale and Glassdoor. Or if your own company is hiring, if you look at their want ads, you can often get a lot of information from them. But so gather the information about what you should be paid Gather information about the value that you have provided for the company over the last year. You should just be keeping a folder on your desk. And every time you do something, it can be on your computer desk too. But anytime you do something that you know is either saving the company money or making the company money or achieving one of the goals that your boss or supervisor set up for you, put it in the folder so that you just have it when you're ready to go in and have this conversation. And then you have to ask and asking is not easy, but it gets easier. I mean, you know this because you run a business and people who run businesses, we negotiate all the time. We, we negotiate for, for rates and for sales and, and it is hard to ask, but it does get easier once you can hear the words coming out of your own mouth a little bit. I always remind myself there have been all these studies done showing that the person you're asking wants to be on your team and they want to help you. So, and sometimes it's out of their hands, but you've got to give them enough information to be able to make the case. Absolutely. And my husband, who um, spent many, many years hiring people at a, a major corporation, said he always left something back because he expected the person on the other end to negotiate. And when they didn't, he was disappointed. Oh. And those people were often women. Wow. Let's talk about investing money. I've seen lots of studies that show that women see themselves as great savers. Many women, not all women, but many women do not see themselves as investors. Why, yes. why is that? It's because in our minds, we conflate investing with trading. And this became really, really clear to me talking to women for the book. I would, I would say, are you an investor? And they would say, no, you know, or very few hands would go up. And then I would say, do you have a 401k? Oh, yes, I have one of those. You are an investor. You just don't get that you're doing it because in our minds, investors are people like Jim Cramer. Mm -hmm. Investors are day traders. They're watching the markets all the time. They're trying to get in at the right time and get out of the right time. And my argument is that that makes you a bad investor. I mean, for most day-to-day -day investors, that's not what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. You should be asset allocating your way to success. And other studies have shown, you know, asset allocation is responsible for 90% of the success of our portfolios. So pick your mix or pick a target date fund, and then you can just fund that account through that great saving. And you, you've done it there. You don't need, you, you'll notice that in the book, I don't tell you how to pick a stock. I don't tell you how to pick a bond. I do have you even say portfolios. you even say specifically that you're not going to. I mean, you not, not only don't tell them, you say, I'm not going to. Right. I'm not going to because you don't need to know to be successful. The, the when it comes to income streams, 
I, uh, I love what you said about Social Security, but I wanted to get some clarification on it. You said for a retirement income stream to be strategic, in quotes, you, the, your exact word, about your Social Security income stream. What do you mean by that? I mean, think about when you're going to take it. Two-thirds of the people in this country take it at age 62. Every year you wait from age 62 to age 70, you get a bump in your benefit that's equal to about 8%. That's a guaranteed return. And that's really, really difficult to beat in any other way. Now, it does get a little complicated by marriage. It gets a little complicated when the ages of the spouses are far apart or when one is a much higher earner than the other. I am going to, when it comes time to take my Social Security, I'm going to spend the 40 bucks to run the calculator developed by Larry Kotlikoff from Boston University. You can you can find that at MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com because I want the computer to tell me and tell my husband exactly when to do this. That is, that's great advice. And by the way, we will have a link to our interview with Larry on the show. He's a crazy man, like crazy in a good way. I love him. He's just, he's just the best. And and he answers his phone. He does. Like, you know, you have a story you want to talk about social security. You want to, you, you can pick up the phone and call. I should not be saying this out loud, but you can pick up the phone and call Larry Kotlikoff. True story. When I called Larry Kotlikoff to talk to him about our interview, he told me he couldn't talk to me because he was waiting for a guy from Stacking Benjamins to call him for an interview. So he had to hang up on me. And, <laughs> did and you say that's me? I did. I said, that's me. He goes, no, 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 no. This guy's calling me. I'm like, no, seriously, Larry, I'm that guy. I had to convince him I was me. It was, so it was, it was funny. Let's talk about the, near the end of the book, just one quick topic, which is the joy of spending. You've got a whole chapter on the joy of spending whole section. What's important to know about the joy of spending? That when you spend money on other people, it makes you feel fantastic that when you spend money on experiences rather than things, that gives you an additional boost. I was very, very sad to read about the death of Alan Kruger from Princeton. That was his research experience versus things. He gave us a great gift there. And that it's okay to spend money as long as you're already saving for your other goals. In, in my house, we say this is why we work. And we say it to justify spending money on things that we just want. You know, it, it's okay to want things. And sometimes I think people expect me to be the money police and to, you know, I've been in, I've been in Starbucks and people will come up to me and they're like, I can't believe Gene Chatsky's in Starbucks. Oh my God. What, what are you doing here? And my answer is like, I am not the money police. I believe that you should save first for all of your important goals and that you shouldn't float your life on a credit card. But as long as you are doing the saving and not doing the floating, spend your money where you want to spend your money. It's, it's your life. They're your priorities. You should do it in a way that brings you joy. I still think it'd be funny, though, to see Gene Chatsky on TMZ in a Starbucks. Like yeah, they're doing well, this thing you. where they're, they're <laughs> the paparazzi's all over you because you're in a Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> the book is Women with Money, the judgment-free guide to creating the joyful, less stressed, purposeful, and yes, rich life you deserve. Uh, available everywhere, Jean? Available everywhere, but you can find all the info at womenwithmoneybook.com. Awesome. And you know what? I'm going to link to that in our show notes page. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you two questions before we let you go. Number one, 
the awesome Her Money podcast. Tell everybody what's going on there now. Uh, we are still doing a show a week. We're doing some bonus mailbags. We've had some wonderful, wonderful guests lately and and coming up. I just recorded a podcast today with Amy Arrett, the founder of Madison Reed, the hair color company, and awesome. she was hugely inspiring, told us this amazing story about getting fired and how it changed her life. It's one of my favorite things to do. I can't wait to hear that because I was very surprised that being fired was literally one of the best things that happened to me too. It was me a, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then my last question is uh you're a runner. Are you training for anything? I am not training right now. I am still doing my five miles a few, you know, four mm-hmm. times a week, but I have a frozen shoulder. Have oh, you ever heard of that? Oh, yuck. I, so I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm trying to, um, trying to deal with that. Although the doctor says that running is actually good for it because you do this. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, nobody can see me, but I'm moving my arms <laughs> back and forth like a robot. I always like that. Two podcasters we're talking about and you do this. And I'm nodding yeah, my head, which nobody can see me running? nodding my head either. Right. Are you training for anything? I am. Uh, I got recruited to do a half Ironman relay. So a friend of mine's going to do the swimming. Another guy's going to do the bike and I'm doing the half marathon run. So is, it a, is there a charitable component? Uh, I, you know, what's funny is I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, if there is, send me, send me the link. Cause I'm oh, happy to sponsor you. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, by the way, for hanging out in the basement with us for a few minutes. And by the way, we'll have links to everything Gene and I talked about on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Thanks a ton, Gene. Thank you, Joe. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and can't, be- can't believe this actually. It's trivia time and I'm still not ready. It's not like me. Let's see here. What's today? Let me check the calendar. Uh, we got Elton John's birthday. Elton John's birthday? No, no, no. Uh, National Lobster Newberg Day? No. Uh, no, no. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's birthday? No, that's got possibility. Hey, have you heard the one where Sarah Jessica Parker walks into a bar and the bartender says, Why the long face? <laughs> Sorry, that's not nice. Now, let's see here. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, oh, here's one. National J.R.R. Tolkien Reading Day. Nothing I like better than sitting in front of a roaring fire with a copy of Lord of the Rings. Heck, man, a book that big will keep the fire burning for hours. I'll stick to the Tolkien movie adaptations. Oh, but here's a good one, actually. Uh, which actor who has famously played James Bond turned down the role of Gandalf? I'll have more on that right after this. It's interesting, OG, talking to Gene about investing and about saving. And when you think about that from a business owner's point of view, it works the same way. I mean, you go through all of your expenses, you go through all of your priorities and you line them up. And without having good people working on your team, what does it, what does it all matter? So priority number one, unless you're just going to have your two hands work on things, is going to be to have great people in your corner working for you and your team. And that's why when it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally, you want to find the best person for that job. And odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the right people who fit your role the best. People go to LinkedIn already every day 
to learn and advance their career. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for, which means that when you use LinkedIn jobs to hire somebody, your matches are based on so much more than just a resume. It's so hard when you see a resume, especially somebody that's had a resume service do that for them. Like we're getting good at the resume now. We're either really bad at the resume. And by the way, if you're bad at the resume, you're super missing out because people hire resume services, so many places online to look for a resume. Now, when I look at a resume, I don't know how good that candidate really is. So getting further than a resume, something you got to learn to do if you're going to hire the right people to make your, your business stronger. Your LinkedIn jobs matches are based on skills and backgrounds, sure, but also on interest, activities, and passions. And matching, the LinkedIn jobs matching, lets you get right to a group of the most relevant, the most qualified candidates for your role. And that way, instead of sifting through a bajillion people, you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to, make a quality hire that you're excited about. Customers rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality job opportunities. So post your job today, linkedin.com slash SB. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to get $50 off your first job post. How about that? That's linkedin.com slash SB. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Shire Folk. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this is my J.R.R. Tolkien meets James Bond trivia segment. My precious, my one segment to rule them all. Before the break, I asked you this question. Which actor who has famously played James Bond turned down the role of Gandalf? The answer? Yeah, this one was totally easy. It was Sean Connery. He was offered 15% of the film's total box office receipts, which would have worked out to a comfortable $400 million. I'm sure the guy doesn't need it, though. I mean, but $400 million is $400 million, right? Come on, Sean. See ya. Big thanks again to Gene Chatsky for coming by. Hard to talk now without doing the Sean Connery thing. Sean Connery. Yeah, not good, but uh, nice try. Sean Connery? <laughs> I like this idea, and and you and I have been talking about uh, financial advisors a lot. Likely, of course, we had Nick Stuller on the show last Monday. Just this idea of of judgment free, judgment free money management. It's funny, people are afraid, OG, to meet with financial advisors. I think because they think that the advisor will judge them in part. Uh, I see a lot more financial judgment in online forums between regular people, <laughs> regular people, commoners. Peasants. That I that I do that I do financial planners. I don't know. I think this idea about being judgment free around people with money is something that obviously Gene's trying to help people do. We're trying to help people do. Our friends Brad and Jonathan at Choose FI, Paula, uh, Pant, um, uh, Farnoosh, Mindy and Scott at Bigger Pockets Money. Just, Susie. just to Dave, Susie. Well, I don't know. I think Dave, I think Dave and Susie can be kind of judgy. They're a little judgy. Well, I think, you know, when we talk to, it's kind of funny because when I talk to clients for the first time and sometimes it takes a, a few conversations for this to kind of sink in. But one of the things that I try to remember to say is everything you've done up to this point, I don't care about. I care, but, but I'm not going to judge you about what you did. Because I'm going to assume that you did with the best information that you had, 
we can all look back and play Monday morning quarterback on our finances and go, well, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And you don't need me or any other financial planner for that matter to say, oh man, you really made a mistake there. You didn't start your Roth IRA until last year. Pfft, that was really dumb. You should have been doing this for 20 years. You, I know that you know that. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't need to beat you on the head about it. You're not going to want to come back. So I always tell people, I don't have any value judgments on how you spend money. Our job in working with clients, and I think every financial planner's job, is to make sure that you understand the impact of the decisions. You know, because we can see the, how the dominoes fall. If you want to have a $10,000 a year vacation budget because it's important to you to do the Disney timeshare every year and bring your whole family and fly first class, that's great. That's awesome. I don't have a problem with that. It's, it'll be such a fun trip every year. I mean, eventually we run out of stuff to do at Disney, but whatever. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> it's you. But... I need to tell you the impact of not saving the $10,000, if that's the trade-off. Right. Yeah, and say, that's... well, here's, here's what that means over the next 20 years. And if you look at that and say, yeah, I'm okay with working until 60 instead of 58 to go to Disney every year, awesome. Then we've done our job. So I don't really get into the, the judgment passing of, of just... dis especially decision-making in the past. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, we get it. Everybody screws up with their money, sometimes more than others. Like I say... Not only have I done it once because I didn't know, then I did it a second time just for more having more research. So um, <laughs> everything you've done with money wrong, I've guaranteed I've done it twice. So. OG's already done it twice in the name of science. In science. Yeah, absolutely. Got to research purposes. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. We asked our friends who listen to the show what they value first. And our friend Jane says that she enjoys running and wine and not wine, W-H-I-N-E, but W-I-N-E, not wine. The same time. What, run and wine or wine and wine? Uh, I'm, I'm confused. She says wine, not wine. Right. Running and no whining, meaning running and drinking wine, she likes, not W-H-I-N-E. I got it. I'm just saying at the same time, are you running and drinking wine? It seems like you'd oh, be like, a little parched. Yes. Yeah. You know, I did that once. Yeah, I do remember. That's right. Weren't you sick also at the same time you were doing uh, I felt pretty buzzed after six miles. It was it was not a great feeling, but that didn't stop me from about mile 12 picking up and giving it a college try again. So Yeah, not, that's right. Nothing like running through Bordeaux, uh, drinking. Oh, there it is. There's the gratuitous there Bordeaux is. reference. Yes. We got, for those of you playing the home game, I just mentioned my, did I tell you about my trip to France where mm. I ran a marathon and drank wine at the same time? Uh, thanks. Thanks for that, Jane. Actually, it's your loved ones and your time. But if you're running and they also say red wine is heart healthy. So there you go. You're gonna have a lot more life, a lot more health to enjoy your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple if you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash haven life now you'll get a free quote and for those of you that have done it like our friend kurt was telling us about uh, a couple months ago when he did his by the way congratulations to kurt on his new baby he said their application's simple it's online you can get it right away stackybenjamins.com forward slash haven life and today we're going to throw out the haven lifeline to Tim. Say hi, Tim. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Tim. I have a question, so I'm hoping Paul is there, too. I have a traditional pension at work. 
I have an estimated monthly benefit. How do I calculate a value for my net worth statement? And by the way, I'm an XL. <laughs> the good news for, t- first of all, he says, hey, I want Paula to answer this. And then number two is uh, he's an XL. The good news is Gertrude's going to send you a code, Tim, so you don't have to tell us just how incredibly manly XL you are. And then number two is I think uh, when it comes to pensions, I'll take on Paula any day at the pension, at the pension game. Paula's very smart, smart in a lot mm-hmm. of areas. But when it comes to pension, I think I'll take you and me over that one. So let's tackle this. What do you think, OG? How do you calculate your pension on your net worth statement? I think the right answer is that you don't. I don't think it's part of your net worth because in all likelihood, your pension dies when you die. So it's more of a sinking fund and um, not something that will sustain past you. Maybe depending on what kind of option you picked, maybe it goes to your spouse or somebody else if you pick that. But I can't see, I mean, you can calculate the future value of it or present value of the future stream of incomes, I should say. But the reality is, is that it's not worth anything. If you get hit by a bus, it will not be part of your gross estate, so to speak. It's a stream of income. But for argument's sake, if you wanted to, effectively what you do is you take the uh, the addition of all of the monthly streams of income that you're receiving, and then you apply an interest rate to that. You can pick what kind of interest rate you want to want to apply to it. And then you bring all of those streams of income back into the present day. Saying, for example, 32 years from today, yeah, you know, your $5,000 a month pension is going to be worth less money. But let's get into the weeds a little bit here. Unless it's a period certain pension, you don't even know what that number is. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so really, and I can't, I, I can't think of a reason, Tim, why you would even want to do that except for to apply for credit. And when you apply for credit, you can show that as an income stream, which will... Yeah, they won't let you put it on the... It won't, it it won't be on the asset list. It'll be on the income list. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, we know when it comes to income and expenses, it'll go there, but in terms of your net worth, it doesn't add to your, doesn't add to your net worth. Although it does make you better looking in, in a bar, just walk up to the person you're talking to and say, Hey, I've got a pension. Dude, I've got a pension. It's so awesome. It's like, uh, it's like forty one hundred dollars a month, man. I don't know. Tax. I don't know if you know this about me, but I got a pension. Oh, look, single life annuity. Look, I just dropped my pencil, and I got a pension. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other place that you can find this information, it, depending on where you work, the company may offer a calculation. Also, in fact, they may even offer you a lump sum buyout of your pension, which would be the truest representation of what it's worth, according to them, anyway. So. Um, so sometimes, you know, big companies will have a, a pension option that is, you know, here's your X dollars per month that you can live on and or here's the lump sum of money that you can choose upon retirement instead of the stream of income. Yeah. And I guess you could use that number if that's on your pension statement. Well, but, you know, for vanity purposes. And, and that's really the only way, the only reason I can think of would be for vanity purposes. And it really, unless you take that lump sum... It still doesn't, isn't correct. Well, it just goes, yeah, it just goes in one column or the other. It either goes, it's either an asset or it's an income stream. Yeah. It's not both. So, you know, you were talking about the, probably the only reason you would need it would be for, for a loan application process. It's going to be on the income stream. So it's not going to show up as an asset. Thanks for the question, Tim. We also get letters down here in the basement and 
this one Doug just handed me comes from Tyler. Tyler says, just want to say I love the podcast and appreciate all the info you put out there. Thanks, Tyler. My question today is all about exchange traded funds in a taxable account. I currently invest in my agency's pension fund, the workplace retirement, which is a 457 Roth IRA, and I have a taxable brokerage account with Vanguard. I dollar cost average regularly into my workplace fund, into the Roth IRA, and 5% of my salary is automatically deducted from my checks toward a pension. I have no debt and a liquid eight-month emergency fund. A few times in the last year when I worked significant overtime, I had extra money. So I purchased shares of the Vanguard Total Stock Market Exchange Traded Fund and the Vanguard Small Cap Exchange Traded Fund. Lately, I've been reading about people saying you shouldn't own small cap funds in a taxable brokerage account because of capital gains. Oh, crap. Sorry. That was- where, did you re- where did you read that nonsense? Yeah, Tyler didn't say that. That's me. Um, but I also read various articles stating that exchange traded funds are treated differently than mutual funds within a taxable account and are okay to be purchased within a taxable account. Is this something I should be worried about should stop doing? I'm trying to see the difference between buying shares of these two funds. I don't plan on touching this brokerage account, just buying more when things look on sale. My thoughts on using the taxable account was just to have another bucket structured differently tax-wise from the workplace retirement plan, my pension, and the Roth IRA. I just love the uh, market timing. I'm just going to buy some things when when they're on sale. Stop reading from so many f***ing Uber nerds on your computer. (laughs) Don't own small cap. I've actually never even heard that. I can't... Like, what's the... What's the reason behind it? Oh. Oh. It's because of the capital gains potential? Yes. Well, and here's the deal. Okay. The the capital gains tax rate that's zero up to $80,000 income every year. <laughs> Tyler, in a mutual fund, when they trade stocks back and forth, they rebalance in this case uh, to, to make sure that they stay with the index that they're trying to stay with, they will have to sell and buy. And when they sell and buy stuff, or if a name disappears, and so they got to sell it. As an example, you know, when Eastman Kodak exited the Dow Jones, Dow Jones ETF had to sell that. Dow Jones Mutual Fund had Such to sell Such a nice that. way of saying they exited. Yes. How about that? When they, <laughs> when they were asked to leave the party. <laughs> uh, please. Due to the fact that they were insolvent. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to have to go now. Looks like your drink is dry. <laughs> your drink is... We're going to give you one for the road. And um, also, don't worry about the tab because we know that you have no money. Good day, sir. The uh, And it really isn't funny. Uh, but, but, by oh, the way, it sure is. Eastman Kodak employees, though. It's not funny. But... but There's none of them still living. But it's a but it's a funny joke. So the, the, the thing that... The, it's been the, gone so long. There is a difference... Between a mutual fund and exchange traded funds, exchange traded funds have this little rule that say that they're allowed to exchange shares. So they can exchange shares of one for shares of the other. So in that way, exchange traded funds will have a much lower tax bite than a mutual fund. In the big scheme of things, huge scheme of things, who the f cares? This is quite amazing. I didn't really realize that this was such a big thing on the interwebs about the differences. Huh. 
I remember there was a client that um, when I worked at American Express, this advisor, you'd remember him, came to my office and he was an aggregator of clients that nobody wanted. And he says, hey, I've got a problem. I've got a client who has one position. It's the American Express mid-cap fund. I went, yeah, okay. I mean, besides the obvious, what's the problem? Well, for the first time in 15 years, they issued a capital gain this year. I said, oh. And I look at the, I kind of, you remember you used to get those charts every year, like yes. in December, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the approximate capital gain. I go, oh yeah, geez, 25%. That's a lot of money. He goes, yeah, she has 500,000 in it. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so for those of you keeping score at home, she's going to get a tax bill for a gain of $125,000, despite the fact that her fund didn't actually go up $125,000 that year. It's kind of accumulated type thing. In any event, he's like, what do I do? <laughs> I said, well, I might call her and tell her that she's uh, about to have a, you know, $25,000 tax bill. Just call her, yell incoming and hang up. <laughs> but the bad thing, of course, is that now you have to sell, assuming you don't have twenty five grand laying around, you got to sell the $25,000 right. out of the fund right. to pay the tax, which now is more gain than now you have to pay tax so, on. It's a vicious cycle. So, okay, Tyler. I probably overreacted because no, well, to OG's point here, in a big case of you doing an extreme amount of the wrong thing, having just one concentrated position that's going to pay out a big capital gain, okay, maybe there could be an issue. But based on everything you said in your question, I think let's, you're. Let's I think you're realistic. Reading, I think he's reading too much. Oh, God, yes. It sounds like he's doing so many great things and he's reading too much crap by people who overthink stuff. And guess what? I've seen the other side of a lot of these people's balance sheets. I mean, that may, I, I don't know who you're talking to, but OG and I have been in a position where we get to talk to the people who are uber, uber, uber smart about their money. A ton of the professors that I've talked to who know everything about everything on the interwebs have no cash have zero cash. And the people that have serious cash will tell you you're over flipping thinking it. I was just going to add, I think it's really funny that we focus on the one thing that, well, we're not focusing on it, but but this this one particular topic, when all of the minute benefits of the ETF versus mutual fund debate are completely blown up when the market goes down 17% in three months and you go, yeah, actually, it's probably isn't a good place for my money and you sell it and then you buy something different and then you miss out on the 20% bounce from Christmas till present, you know, or whatever that number is. Yeah. That behavioral type stuff. Schwab so did much. that. Was it, wasn't it Schwab that did that study or was it Fidelity where they were able to go back and look at, I think it was Fidelity actually. Fidelity, they were able maybe. to go back um, anonymously into all the 401ks they manage mm -hmm. and they showed that people would sell stuff and the stuff that they bought did way worse than the things that they sold after they sold them. Yeah. Because when do we buy them and when do we sell them? It just goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. When you're looking at your 401k, when you're doing your audit, you know, your self-important <laughs> financial planning audit on January 1st, and you get your, you get your 401k statement, especially this most recent year, you can't tell me that you didn't, you didn't look at the list and go, I'm going to sort by best performers in the last 10 years. There's no other way to do that. I mean, the reality is, is that's the information that's presented. So what other information do you have? Alphabetics, 
uh, going alphabetical, you know, that's an option. Sure. But most people are not going to take the time to go through and pick out different competing asset classes and go, you know, I should put my money in this one. It's only down 18% for the year. That's not a human reaction to what happens. I see it every day. I mean, it's what's happening throughout the, throughout the world is people go, well, that thing sucked. So I'm going to get rid of it and I'm going to buy this thing, but I'm a passive investor. I buy, I buy passive things, but I take my passive things and I day trade the shit out of them. <laughs> so I'm doing, I'm doing an active trading strategy very inexpensively, but in reality, it's very expensive because you're costing yourself in a long, in, in, you know, over the long term. But, um, if truly, if truly, truly you say, I'm going to put the same amount of money in every single week from now until I'm 60 years old and I'm never going to touch it. So help me God. The decision between ETF and mutual fund will not matter. Yeah, it'll be inconsequential to you making it or not. That's right. Inconsequential. Tyler, you're doing a ton of stuff, right? I don't know what your goals are, so I don't know if you're ahead or behind. But to OG's point, I don't think that this is going to be the deciding factor about whether about whether you make it or not. The fact that you're dollar cost averaging in to stuff, the fact that you're putting money in toward your pension the fact that you're using funds that control their fees, the fact that you are thoughtfully continuing with your plan, you have an eight-month emergency fund, that's all awesome. That is all awesome stuff. Don't let the professors turn your awesomeness into crap. Should be a a bumper sticker. Sell that in the Stacking Benjamin shop. Don't let the professors turn your awesomeness into crap. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Your awesome sauce into crap. TM. <laughs> Trademark. There it is. Yes. Uh, Dave Ramsey, if you want to borrow that from us, there will be a slight fee, but uh, that'll be fine. One million dollars. Thanks for the question, Tyler. And a great question because of the fact that we see so many people do this. We see so many yeah. people do this. So yeah. many people. Don't, don't, don't play that game. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybedjamins.com and uh, Tim taking away the greatest money show on earth t-shirt. Gertrude's going to send him out a code uh, so that he can pick out his size. And even though he says he's an XL, if he wants to go with the L so that he can go sun's out, pensions out, you know, he'll be, he'll be medium. <laughs> he'll, he'll be fine. We're at like a halter top. Get the extra small. <laughs> Just like how you wear them. That's exactly. That's what I'm wearing now. Check this out. The, the uh, Yeah, people don't want that. Uh, thanks to everybody. Square is a shape. <laughs> thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this podcast. Mom loves to brag to the Bridge Club about uh, the boys and how they're doing. This is five stars from Brittany Ann. Says, just for mom, great show, a good place to start becoming aware of the big financial picture. I think of it as a way to learn the vocabulary I should be aware of writing this just before dessert. So I got to be quick. Bye. Thanks, Joe and OG. See how easy that was. Thanks to you, Brittany, for the, for the review. And if you can take a few minutes to tell people what uh, they're getting into when they listen to the Stacking Benjamin show, we appreciate it. And mom might put yours on the fridge too. All right. That's going to do it for today. Oh, one last thing. If you need help in your corner, OG's taking clients as well. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash OG. Can't forget that. All right. Now it's time. Doug, take it from here, buddy. What should we have learned today? 
Well, Joe, today's episode was riveting, and I'm sure I don't need to tell people because they were totally focused and got all of this stuff, so probably going to be redundant here. But first, take some advice from Gene Chatsky. Wondering why you're the way you are with money? Tell yourself your money story. By looking backwards, you'll find lots of clues that inform who you are today. Then, use those to build on your strengths and firm up your weaknesses. Second, going shopping soon? Maybe you should have a plan. Stores spend millions on getting you to buy. Maybe it's worth a few minutes to put together a strategy before money's running out of your wallet. But the big takeaway? Don't let Joe's mom hear you tell awful Sarah Jessica Parker jokes. I told you we were not going to tell that joke. Yeah, I promise. Yeah, I'm washing the windows this afternoon. Special thanks to Jean Chatsky for coming back to the basement. You can find more from Jean at her website, jeanchatsky.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Hey, how come I always have to say the amazing Steve Stewart? That Richie kid's pretty cool, and we don't add any adjectives before his name. What about me? How come I'm never the incomparable neighbor Doug, or the unimaginably cool neighbor Doug, or even the unfathomably intelligent neighbor Doug? This place sucks. I don't know if you know this OG. Do you remember those comic books that you read as a kid or not? Maybe, but you know, they sell these comic book things. I was going to say, I never read a, I've never read a single comic book in my entire life, but you know, the people do that, that that's a thing. Yes. Did you know they've actually made some movies about these things? Who knew? I have uh, been made aware that there are some uh, movies based on comic books. So I went to a motion picture theater the other day with uh, my lovely girlfriend, Cheryl, and we saw this new movie based on a comic book of all things, a Marvel comic book. Richie, did you know that Marvel actually makes movies about these comic strips? It's this amazing thing. Uh, check this out. This is a clip from uh, the new one, Captain Marvel.
War is a universal language. I know a renegade soldier when I see one. Never occurred to me that one might come from above. Space invasion. Big car chase. Truth be told, I was ready to hang it up till I met you today. So you're not from around here. It's hard to explain. Space invasion uh, led by this person who's from a different world, which ends up being Captain Marvel and uh, other aliens are coming to Earth. This film starring uh, Brie Larson is the story of Brie, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, trying to figure out exactly uh, what's going on. Everybody's chasing this key to the universe, which is a drive that will make space travel go much, much, much faster. And obviously, yeah. So she comes to get it and uh, the bad guys come chasing her to get it. So at the beginning of that clip, when you heard the big boom at the beginning, that was her falling into a blockbuster back in the uh, 1980s, back when blockbuster was a thing. And you can tell very quickly what the year is by the title she picks up. It's a, uh, I don't think I got to spend a lot of, of time on this, OG. If you've Thank seen, you. if you've seen a Marvel movie before, you've seen this one because it follows the same exact tropes that the other ones do. But that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. I had a great time watching it. Uh, when the lights came up, Cheryl and I looked at each other and I said, what did you think? And uh, I think the assessment was the same between the two of us. This is a really fun movie. That's really dumb. Uh, it was just a fun, dumb ride. So if you're trying to kill uh, an hour and a half to two hours and you get a laugh, you get a few, uh, aliens, uh, you know, involved in car chases and exciting sequences where stuff blow up. There you go. You just, if Captain Marvel, by the way, you also have nearly every other stinking Marvel movie that's been out so far. So don't think it's going to be any different. It's more the same when it comes to the Marvel universe. And I, um, I was very disappointed when I heard, uh, the Walt Disney, uh, company, the Disney company's, uh, quarterly conference call. I thought it was funny on two fronts. One, I groaned when they talked about the upcoming number of Marvel movies that are in the hopper. You know, I don't remember if the number OG was seven or nine, but it was, but regardless, they already know the next many Marvel movies that are coming out. They've got a pipeline that is longer than zero or two or three. Let's finish up the Avengers thing and uh, maybe give us one or two more, but they've got a pipeline that's really long. Well, it's because every time they do it, they make half a billion dollars in yeah, profit. Every, everybody so goes and sees it. I go I would see it. Keep doing it too. Yes. For them. Yeah. No, I can complain about it right now. And who am I to talk? I went and saw it. So, and by the way, Tuesday afternoon, still a great time to go see a movie. If you're looking for the cheap, uh, cheap seats, we went for very little money to a, a movie theater in the Detroit area. That's usually pretty expensive. Uh, the imagine theaters when, when we saw that was the place it was playing near us. I thought, Oh boy, but we went and I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, and because it was Tuesday afternoon, had the theater nearly to ourselves. I think there were like four other people. And those seats recline. And as a 51-year-old guy, rec- I know, right? What's that? Pass the popcorn. 
reclining seat, that's a dangerous thing. So I didn't recline it very far because I was afraid that I was going, would go down for the count. Better note, on a better note, you have been watching the new season of Billions. Haven't. You, you haven't. Nope. Didn't start it yet. That's that's a thing and that's coming. I don't have showtime. Somebody else just told me recently in the last two days, told me I would absolutely love it. You've been telling me that forever, just like I've been oh. telling you you'd love The Last Kingdom. But a series I have watched, uh, season four of, I'm um, six episodes, or excuse me, I'm four episodes into the six episode season, is The New Catastrophe is out. I saw that. I saw that it's out. Yeah, really good. Really more Is this of, the third the season? Same. This is four. This is four. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We stopped watching halfway through two. It kind of got kind of weird. As I but mentioned, I'll, I'll pick it back up again. One is super good. Two is super bad. Three's a return to form. I would say four so far. We haven't gotten to the kicker yet, but, but four is uh, worse than one in three, but certainly better than two. Good. So good stuff there. All right. Final analysis on Captain Marvel OG. You've been warned. You know what you're getting into. I can't give it a thumb down. It was it was fun, but it certainly isn't a big old, you know, resounding thumb up. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.